0: Your boy and welcome to episode fifteen of the podcast. This is M, and the final episode of the year two thousand nineteen, our established year, our inaugural year. Dude, I was walking down the sidewalk yesterday, and there was this. Um, my girlfriend lives in this very kind of cool. I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's cool, but it's a cute part of town. It's. Um, I wouldn't call it a suburb, but it's a slightly more affluent area. And, uh, not that my girlfriend's rolling in cash, not that she isn't, but, uh, you know, she just has like a studio apartment, um, in this kind of nicer area, but there's like this brand new shop and I think it's like a hipster clothing place. And on their sign, it has like one of those old timey antiquey signs, but it says established 2019. And it's like, dude, don't you have to wait a little bit longer before that means anything? i mean aren't you supposed to put your established date because it's kind of impressive like if like if you have a a beer brewing company that was established in 1820 people go oh shit or like a whiskey distillery from like 1529 people go like oh my god but if it says established 2019 are people like i don't know let's give them some let's let's give them some time while they find their sea legs before we fucking check this place out um so, anyway, so this is M the podcast established two thousand nineteen uh yeah, so it's kind of weird for me because I know as you're listening to this episode, um you've literally just had Christmas, and we are on the cusp of the new year um while I'm recording this, we literally just had Thanksgiving, so I'm so far ahead of you guys with these recordings that literally um by the time Christmas has happened for me, it's probably going to be March 2020. So, I think moving forward in the new year, um, I was going to say that I, I might take the rest of the year off of recording these and sort of pick up when the new year begins so that as I record them, you know, it's happening in real time. Um, but even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, well, I probably, won't. am I really, am I, am I really going to take the next month off of recording and just sort of sit on my hands. I mean, I was about to say, you know, with finals coming up um, and the holidays, it might be nice to take some time off and not record one of these uh, podcasts. But I'm also thinking I enjoy it so much. I really don't see myself not doing it. It really doesn't take a lot of time for me to do these. And I've said it before, if I had my druthers, I'd be doing this twice a week. I really enjoy doing it. But I don't know. For some reason I fixed it in my mind that I need a bigger audience before I quote justify doing it more frequently or even doing the video podcast for that reason. I've mentioned in the past that I eventually, I want this to be a video podcast. Um, and for some reason I've decided I need a bigger audience before I do that. I don't have a solid number in mind, but I've told myself I need a bigger audience before I do that. But maybe I don't, maybe I should just start doing it. Um, there's a British saying that says begin, well, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's something like begin as you wish to proceed. Um, and so maybe just starting it, um, starting it now would be the right thing to do, but I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll continue to think about it. I should say. In the meantime, uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can, wherever the fuck you listen to podcasts. And, uh, I feel like a broken record saying it, but you, where, where are you listening to this now? Are you listening to this on Apple podcasts? Are you listening on Spotify? If based on the numbers, you probably are listening on Spotify. That's our most popular platform. Uh, for the podcast right now. Um, but wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're hearing this, subscribe. Um, and uh, consider subscribing to the YouTube channel also. We post the audio there. And if you want to um, start catching the video podcast when it airs, uh, who gives a shit? I'll update you. <clears throat> but yeah, subscribe to s- subscribe to YouTube anyway. Why not? And um, also, rate and review the podcast. If you think it deserves five stars, awesome. If you think it deserves less, fuck off. But if you want to give this show a positive review, um, I don't know how it helps exactly, but it couldn't wait. And um, what else do I have to tell you? Oh, share it. Think of think of one person in your life who you think would like this podcast and share it. And if you'd like to subscribe to my socials or connect with me on you know other social media sites, you can find me using the handle at this is M-X-O-X-O. Man, you know I was. Yeah, I mean I, I feel super redundant, but y- you know how this works. I really don't know what I'm going to talk about when I sit down, and I was thinking about, you know, maybe just reflecting on the year and and having this be a sort of year in review episode. But um. But I've had such a huge week with Thanksgiving going on. I kind of just want to talk about what I did, and since I've been going to school excuse me, since I've been going to school. And by the way, it's raining here and I'm super fucking depressed. And over the last, few, you know, I've I've mentioned in other episodes, I think that I have, I hate saying it, but I, I think it's fair to say that I have seasonal affective disorder, sad or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But, um, when it gets dark, I, I, my mood palpably plummets. I get sadder. It's harder for me to wake up in the morning. It's hard to stay motivated. And I, I think everyone's affected by that, but it really does get to me. And I was talking about it in therapy and my therapist was the first person who recommended I get one of these mood lights, you know, these light boxes that people use seasonally to sort of cheer themselves up. And I had this little one for a couple years, which I never really felt a difference, but I thought, meh, it couldn't wait. Just use it. Um, but I've, um, yeah, I don't know. My sense was that it probably wasn't doing much for me. But um, she had done some research. I think she has one herself, and, and she made a brand recommendation for me. So, I went on and, and got this new one. And for the last few weeks, it's really been working for me. Um, but, uh, but this last week, it's been super rainy out here. And I think uh, when the weather plummets to a certain extent, there's just really not much you can do about it. It's rainy. You're stuck inside. It's hard to be motivated. You wake up. It's dark you go to bed, it's dark. It's, um, it's just not very pleasant. Um, so yeah, I feel a little bit down, but, um, but, uh, the holiday. Yeah. Since I've been in school, my girlfriend loves to travel and since I've been in school, she's really had the travel bug. Um, I'm not really inclined to travel. I like staying home. I'm a creature of habit. Uh, part of it, I think, is a type of anxiety about travel. Um, I think it, it's vulnerable for me to travel. I, it's hard for me to break my routine. And it's not that I don't enjoy traveling when I do it. When I'm actually on the trip, I have a phenomenal time. And the vacations that I've taken with my girlfriend have been some of the best times we've had together. The, some of the most fun we've ever had has been when, 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 we're on, when we are on vacation together. And especially when we're traveling, because there's, it's not that, you know, it's not that I complain or fight her on it, but I I think she senses this uh, this sort of low hum of anxiety or apprehension about traveling. So, when we're actually on the trip and I'm having fun, I I make a, I try to make as many, I, I make an effort to point it out as frequently as I can that I'm having a good time. Like, wow, isn't this fun? I'm so glad I did this. This is a great trip. But it, it it bums me out that no matter how many good trips we have, every time she broaches the topic of going on another one, I I, I still feel apprehensive. And uh, I don't know what that's about necessarily. But um, since I've started school, we haven't had the chance to take a trip. And as the holidays were coming up, my girlfriend kind of had a come to Jesus moment with me where she, she sort of said, hey, we really got to do something because this is important to me. It's something that's that I need. And you know, I, I'd like to do as much of it as we can, even considering your schedule. And I said, okay, fair enough. And so, we spent some time looking on the computer for something to do over the Thanksgiving break. And um, I kind of feel guilty that we didn't come up with much. We we really couldn't settle on a place to go. But uh, I still got my, sh- my shifts at work covered nonetheless, and we decided to have something of a staycation. So, uh, we uh, booked tickets for Cirque du Soleil, they have a show here in San Francisco now under their, they called it, the they call it the Grand Chapoteau, which I guess is French for like circus tent. <clears throat> but it's like, I've seen Mystere, uh, which is a circus du show. I've seen Mystere twice in Las Vegas at Treasure Island. I'm not sure if it's still there. I mean, if it has, it's been running for like 20 years, but um, you know, normally they have these theater shows and they probably have like fucking two dozen of them in Las Vegas, but um, they also have these traveling shows under these circus tents, and when I tell you it was under a circus tent, you might think it was kind of—I don't know—you're probably picturing something like Dumbo, but you have no goddamn idea. This is like a full-blown—it's—it's it's like full full-blown production value. You know, it's a tent, but you walk in there and there's concessions and there's merch and it's a—you know—there's a stage with a It's like a rotating stage with lights and set pieces and. A live band and it's just it's unbelievable. It might as well be inside a theater, um, and uh, it was it was pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say exactly. It's uh, it's cool to go out there. It's it, it's a cool experience. I mean, I'd certainly recommend going. Um, but uh, there was a couple couple strange moments. One, I, you know, I don't know if it's as I get older it probably has something to do with age, but I can't tolerate violence or gore as much as I used to be able to. Like when I was a kid, the coolest thing you could see, or you would laugh, like my brother skated. He was a skateboarder. And you would watch these fail videos, you know, people crashing on their skateboards and stuff. And that was the, we loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. It was funny as hell. As I get older though, I can't watch that stuff. I think as you get older and your mortality becomes more real to you, but like, I don't know, your consciousness gets raised to like the effects of pain or something. I, I don't know. I don't want to get too cerebral about it, about it. But as you get older, you can't tolerate watching pain. You know, I watch these movies now that are just sort of like, you know, Jason or Freddy Krueger Kruger, where it's some like creature that's just like butchering a bunch of kids. It's like, I really feel for them. You know, I can't just go like, oh, wow, cool. Look how he got his eyes eyes gouged out or something like that. It's like truly disturbing. It's like I really feel for these kids, you know, all oh, cut down on their prime or whatever. But um, what the fuck does that have to do with Cirque du Soleil? Oh, shit. When I'm watching these things, you know, when people are dangling like, you know, 100 feet in the air from a trapeze or people are putting themselves in, I don't know, what seems to be like real peril, it's pretty unsettling to watch. And uh, so, yeah, it was weird. I found myself like I would, when I, you know, I would sort of like check in with my body every couple of minutes I would be like fully tensed, you know, I'd be like gripping the arm rest or something like that. And I just, I don't know, it made me feel kind of weak. But, um, but there was a couple of times where they like fucked up in the show and it was like really concerning. Um... you know toward the in in the second half of the show they have this intermission which I think is just an excuse to get people to buy more popcorn because there's really no need we could have sat through the whole fucking show but in the second part of the show they have um it's sort of like I guess you call it cheerleading right you know when they do like the pyramid and they like throw girls on top of the guy's shoulders and then the guys are holding them up and they're tossing them up and down so it's it's something like that and there's this scene where this girl sort of I don't know. Walking forward, and the guys are sort of underneath her, and they're—I don't know—they're sort of ferrying, ferrying her forward. And right as she gets to the end, there's some sort of mishap, and she like falls, and they catch her just in time. But you still hear this like thud, you know. And we're like three quarters of the way back in the in the in the theater, and you still still hear this loud thud, which has to be her head hitting the goddamn stage. And everybody in the crowd just kind of goes. <gasps> And you sense that the show still goes forward, but you can see the performers sort of subtly checking in with each other like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And I don't know if if, thankfully this performer was scheduled to sit out for the next couple tricks or whatever anyway, but she just sort of takes a seat near the side of the stage or whatever, and then the act sort of goes on. But you get this sense that must have Cause like a ripple effect in the performance. Cause when you're, I mean, I've talked about it on this podcast, you know, when you're in the flow of something, you're just sort of going with it. And the minute you sort of become aware of what you're doing or you become self conscious, you can start fucking up pretty quickly. And there were two guys who were doing, well, a few guys who were doing this sort of synchronized act. And you could see one guy on the the right side of the stage was having a lot of difficulty. He kept not landing his stuff and, you know, trying to get back and then sort of catch up with the other guy. And then, probably the most harrowing moment was, um, you know, they're doing this thing where they they have this one guy jump up on another guy's shoulders and then on the other side of the stage they have these four guys who sort of lift this girl in the air and what they're gonna do is fucking throw her 30 feet into the air onto the shoulders of the guy who's already standing on another guy's shoulders and they got two guys sort of standing by to sort of like i don't, I don't fucking know, catch this girl as she falls which seems fucking crazy but they throw her in the air she flips she lands on this guy's shoulders and she basically just like falls off and these two guys like catch her and there's this moment where you're like oh shit what the fuck's gonna happen now and they just sort of like I mean there's no doubt that these guys have a contingency plan for anything that happens right or you'd like to think that they do but whatever music cue happened 20 seconds ago happens again and you think all right they're gonna give it give it another shot and they end up doing it. But you it was this sense, like the minute there was this first ripple where they dropped the girl, it was like this sequence of events or whatever. And it didn't detract from the show. I mean, if anything, you know, you're watching this sort of flawless performance of these acrobatics. And even though I'm talking about being tense, you know, there's really no, you never really get the sense that there's danger. And then all of a sudden you have these couple slip ups and you realize like, holy shit, like these people are doing some really fucking scary shit. And uh, and I've heard anecdotally about Cirque du Soleil performers dying. I actually Googled it this morning because I was thinking about it and it hasn't been too many. But yeah, dude, people have fucking died in these shows. You know, mostly the stage shows, I think. They were talking about the show Ka, which is happening somewhere in Las Vegas. And uh, yeah, someone fell from a wire or some shit like that. But you're thinking, holy crap, I'm so glad I've never witnessed anything like that. There was actually, there's a story... It's really disturbing, actually. There's a venue here in California in the Bay Area called the Mountain Winery, and it's a really cool performance space at a winery, and um, it's hard to describe, but the stage is a sort of, it's an outdoor amphitheater, and the backdrop of the stage is like this sort of cottage or country vineyard house or something like that. It's 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 a facade of a house. And it's a few stories high and it's sort of, you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm terrible at heights, but let's say it's a hundred feet in the air <clears throat> or the roof of this facade is a hundred feet in the air. And there's this story. Um, do you know who Glenn Hansard is? Um, he has a successful solo singer songwriter career. Uh, he did the musical Once that he co-wrote with his... Um, that group, The Swell Season. Well, that, w- that was the band that was playing. The band, The Swell Season was pl- playing a mountain winery. And uh, one half of The Swell Season is Glenn Hansard. And so, they're playing there. It's a sort of singer-songwriter show. And apparently, this guy in the audience just looks at his friend and says, hey, I'll be right back. And a couple minutes later, this dude is standing at the, on the roof of this cottage and just jumps off and lands on the stage and dies. He commits suicide in the fucking show. And lands X number of feet away from the lead singer and just fucking kills himself. And, um, I just can't imagine being at that show. Um, they said there were like children in the first couple rows. It's just, you probably see something like that happen and you, it's sort of, it has to be surreal for the first few moments. Do you know what I mean? It has, you have to think it's like part of the show or, I mean, I, I remember, um, what episode of the podcast was it? Um, I don't know. Not hit with the spirit. What the fuck was it called? Well, I love. I love how I can't keep track of these. Uh, can't keep track of these episodes. But um, um, maybe it was braved togetherness. Anyway, I don't know what the fuck. But it was the one where I was talking about death and dying, or I talked a lot about death and dying, and I was talking about that surreal moment of you know when your plane starts crashing. Uh, most of your the experience must be the first 30 seconds of like, holy shit. Oh, it's called Oh Really. I forget what, it. maybe episode nine or something, but it's called Oh Really. That fucking Oh Really moment, like this is really fucking happening. Could you imagine being Glenn Hansard on stage and all of a sudden there's this huge thud and you see this fucking thing happen in your peripheral vision and you look to your left and it's a fucking, I mean, who knows what, the, what condition that body is when it fucking hits the stage, contorted or fucking, ugh, just, you know, blood splatters. Who the fuck knows what happened? But you're just like what the fuck? And realizing, oh my God, that's a fucking body right there. (sighs) Anyway, so that's what you don't want to happen when you see Cirque du Soleil. And thankfully, it didn't happen. But do you want it to happen? I don't know. From an outsider's perspective, there's that weird sort of, yeah, rubbernecking. What's that thing? Yeah, I think like when you drive by an accident, everybody looks. Part of you wants to see something morbid, part of you doesn't? I don't know. It's that weird thing, right? Until you actually see it, you think you want to see it, and then you do, and you wish you hadn't fucking seen it, probably. I mean, can you imagine living in the old, like, ancient Roman times, where, like, they, people fought in the Colosseum to the death, and just seeing people fucking, like, stabbed in the neck and dying, or getting eaten by lions or bears? Some dude with a little shield and a dagger fucking pit it against a fucking grizzly bear. Could you imagine? Fucking bring the kids. Crazy. What a strange uh, strange world uh, we live in, or did live in. But, uh, but Cirque du Soleil was a great night. It was very cool. What you shouldn't do is go to Woodbury, <laughs> right before the show. Or actually, maybe it was another place that we went to. You'll have to Google this, but in, we were looking for a nearby, I don't know, bar or place to have dinner before the show. We found this place called Woodbury and we walk in and it's completely fucking empty and they have the music blasting and it's kind of like a sports bar sort of thing and there's like four dudes standing around um and you know we walk in they're not eager to greet us this dude kind of hands us some menus nonchalantly and I'm just like oh, okay I guess you don't want people eating here so I asked my girlfriend to check the place next door um it turns out they're owned by the same fucking people I guess because they had the exact same menu but uh yeah dude just some kind of shitty service and like frozen food. So, not very good. Can't recommend it. So, don't go to Word, Woodbury and don't go to, don't go to whatever place is connected to it in San Francisco. But Cirque du Soleil was a great night. Um, the next day, we just sort of went for a long walk. We walked through, um, maybe I shouldn't be given too many specifics about people's location, but my girlfriend lives next to the cemetery that we walked through, which was kind of interesting. And then, um, actually, I guess a couple things are kind of coming together in my mind. We we eventually had dinner that night in Berkeley at this sort of nicer restaurant on, uh, this is a truly affluent area in Berkeley. I think it's like 4th Street or 4th Avenue. I can't remember. But there's like a lot of shops and restaurants and stuff. And it was, you know, one of the places that was open for Thanksgiving dinner. And so there's a couple things here, but speaking of weird service, so, I mean, the, our server was great. She was very nice to us. She was very sweet. But uh, at one point I asked her, I was like, uh, you know, we're sort of wrapping up our meal and I go, are you guys having many more seatings left in the evening? And she was like, oh yeah, we're open until like 9.30. And it was like 8 o'clock or whatever. But it was one of these moments where it was kind of, I mean, I appreciated her being honest with me and I don't mind being informal with my servers, but it was a kind of, like sometimes servers demonstrate a kind of emotional unawareness, which is you know it's i'm here paying you and frankly a a shit ton of money for this dinner it's not really appropriate for you to be like kind of putting that emotional i don't I don't want to call it a burden necessarily but it is kind of an emotional burden like you're working it's it's kind of dude it's kind of like theater you know you're supposed you're supposed to be giving me an experience you know what i'm saying and when you kind of open up to me like well actually dude all right here's the thing that was just part of it. What really, what really, um, what, what what I'm really thinking about is about 20 minutes after that, they seat this, uh, these three people next to us on the right. And I kind of go back to like, you know, whether it's pe- people's super personal Facebook posts are like a form of rudeness for me. When your table asks you how it's going or busy tonight it's really not an opportunity for you to really open up like really the right answer regardless of what you're going through is just be like oh yeah it's going great how are you guys doing tonight um because even though people are asking and they'll pretend, and whatever you tell them they'll pretend like they're really listening to you they don't really want to know the answer so the table goes oh you guys busy tonight and the girl just goes oh yeah you wouldn't believe it man and i'm stressed out right it's it's the holidays i'm working i'm ready to go home i've been here since noon And you could see the table just kind of go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, well, thanks for working. And I'm like, yeah, man, how do you think those people feel now that you've opened up that way? You're telling them you're stressed out, you've been there since noon. They're just sitting down. They want to take their time. They don't want to feel rushed. They don't want to be sitting with that while they're trying to enjoy their meal that they're paying a premium for. And And by the way, we did pay a premium it was delicious, but we paid a premium. Um, so anyway, I had to sound like a cantankerous old man, but that was one thing I was thinking about. But here's what I was really thinking about. Cause it contrasts sort of two moments that I had when I was walking with my girlfriend and then at dinner that night. But as we're sitting at dinner, you know, my girlfriend sort of facing into the restaurant, we're at this booth where I'm sort of facing her and I have the restaurant is to my back, but there are these mirrors on the walls that I'm facing so I can sort of still see the restaurant. Like I'm in fucking prison. You know, in those prison things, everybody sticks a mirror outside of their prison cell so they can look around. That's how I'm fucking living folks. And I'm looking around and over my left shoulder, there's a sort of bar type area where ostensibly if you come into this fancy restaurant by yourself, you don't have to take a full table, but you can sit at this bar area and still get, still get served, still get drinks, is what it looks like. And I see this dude sitting by himself. And I don't even, it doesn't even register for me, but I sort of look over my shoulder. and I'm just sort of looking at him. And I'm just thinking in my mind, like, oh, this guy is sort of sitting here by himself on Thanksgiving, having dinner or drinks by himself or whatever. And I sort of look away. And as I'm just sort of thinking about this, I think, holy shit, I know this guy. I worked in restaurants for 10 years. And the last restaurant I worked at was this French restaurant in, um, in Albany, which is a a sort of affluent area adjacent to Berkeley. I worked at this French restaurant in Albany. And this was one of our fucking regulars. And I say fucking regulars because a lot of people don't realize this, but if you work in restaurants, you know, in movies, they always make it out like there's these fucking random assholes who come in and give you a hard time. And I guess those people exist, but they're, Rarely, very once in a blue moon you get a random asshole who comes in. But really the most stressful part of your job as a server is dealing with the regulars. Because regulars, it takes a very specific type of person to be a regular at a restaurant. They're usually creatures of habit. They're usually by themselves, you know. I mean, yeah, you have couples or families that come in on a regular basis, but those people are actually usually pretty cool. It's the sort of lone wolf regular type who tend to be a little needy. Do you know what I mean? Because there's something that comes along when, when you frequent a place, and it's not completely unfounded, but when you frequent a place and you spend money there, you become familiar with the staff, there's a certain expectation of familiarity. Which again, it completely makes sense. You go here regularly, you are familiar with the staff, you spend money there, and you want to be treated well. But for the staff, that can be a certain kind of draining. Like, I, t- I talk about this in terms of school, which is, you know, I have a teacher who you deeply respect because she's always prepared. She always has PowerPoint presentations for all the lectures. Um, you know, you can tell she's thought a lot about each class period. You know, she's not just winging it. But if you just want to sit back and chill and kind of zone out... You can't, because there's going to be in-class assignments, and every 15 minutes she's lecturing, she's going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and talk about what the fuck she just said. So, there's really not an opportunity to just fucking coast, if that's what you really want to do. And sometimes when you're working, that's what you want to do. You want to coast. And every time you want to coast, you can bet your ass that one of your lone wolf regulars is going to come in and want to tell you about their week. And that's what this fucking dude was. And he was worse than that, though. This fucking guy. Okay, When you work, when you work at a place that's like kind of casual, if you guys close at nine o'clock, if you're lucky, you guys might have a policy where you actually don't take any new tables after 8.30, you know, so by the time it actually is nine o'clock, people are probably finishing eating up and you'll be out of there at 9.30. But when you work at a sort of semi-decent place, if you close at nine o'clock and somebody walks in at 8.59 and 30 seconds and sits down, you fucking serve them. And if they order a three course meal, you're fucking staying there until they're done. And that is exactly what this fucking guy was. He was a lone dude. He actually had a, he actually had a girlfriend too, but I'll, I'll tell you more about her in a second. But this guy was very open about this information, which he was, he is a multi-multi-millionaire and he inherited a bunch of money from his family. He lives in the same neighborhood he fucking grew up in and you can tell he's stalked around this whole area for his entire fucking life. Dude's probably, probably, dude, he's probably 70, late 60s, early 70s, something like that. And he's been stalking around the same area his whole goddamn life. And he came to our restaurant, bless his heart, honestly. He came to our restaurant at at a bare minimum once a week. Even, how do I say this? Even less frequently? I don't fucking know. Like, like, uh, all I'm saying is he came mostly like th- three times a week was probably his average. Sometimes he came as many as five or six times a week. Sometimes he came once a week. Very rarely would he not come at all. But this fucking dude spent a shit ton of money at this place. But he was always coming in right before we closed, usually by himself. But here's the part here's the part that comes back to me. He was dating this girl and this woman had um, a daughter when they met. And because this guy's super rich and this girl was like waiting tables or whatever, he could basically dictate the terms of their relationship, which meant even though they've been together for who knows how many years, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years or something like that. They never got married and they never lived together. And this guy had his own house. She had her house, which maybe he paid for or whatever the fuck. But this guy, he had so many personality quirks that you could tell were completely solidified because of his money, because of his affluence, because he had money, because he he could basically dictate the terms of his life, which meant that he completely calcified at a super young age. He fucking never changed. He didn't like allow people in his life that fucking challenged him. And this guy always fucking bothered me. He was never overtly rude, but you could just tell he was just sort of maladjusted. You know, he just wasn't socialized in a way other people were. And he talked about family conflict. He talked about how, and who the fuck knows what's true, but he would talk about how his family sued him to try to get the money. He inherited the money and his family members, his siblings tried to sue him for the money or some shit. And now he has no contact with any of his fucking family members or something like that. But you could tell this guy was completely stunted. You know, he ate like a child. And you know, as I'm actually, as I'm talking about it, you know how they say the things that you like least about a person are the things that you see in yourself. I think that really resonates with me. And it's not that I just hate who this guy is, and I'm actually kind of weirded out that I'm actually using that word right now, but it's not just that I hate who this guy is. But I think in some ways, he seems like the things in my life that I've worked really hard to be... Cogniz- cognizant of and like change to see someone else just flagrantly accept those things about themselves and like let them run amok in their own lives. I think that's when you really fucking dislike somebody. It's not just that you see things in them that you see in yourself. It's that the things that you work so hard to be aware of or to work on in your own life, somebody who just has those things and spades and doesn't give a fuck about them. You go, Jesus Christ, I really dislike this person. And this guy was just phenomenally, what's the word? Just fucking un, not self-aware. He had no self-awareness. You know, the fact that he would come into this restaurant every time he did, moments before they closed, and so that the the staff had to fucking stay while he was by himself finishing his meal, apparently had no effect on him. And he would like read his fucking paper and take his time. And then he'd want dessert I fucking, dude, one time I, he, I don't know, he thought I wasn't around or whatever. I turned the corner. And I see him licking his goddamn plate clean. I could tell he was fucking mortified that I saw him doing that. <clears throat> but yeah, he just, uh, he really fucking, he was just one of those people in your life who, for whatever reason, for that chapter of my life, he was like my fucking arch enemy. You know what I'm saying? Like if we, if it was, if it was a comic book, he'd be my fucking arch enemy. And he and I would fucking do battle. Like every time I saw him, Um, but yeah, I don't know. There was something sad about seeing him at the restaurant by himself and realizing, oh yeah, this guy's life is not fucking changing. Here it is Thanksgiving and he's by himself. Who knows? Maybe he had Thanksgiving dinner with his girlfriend earlier that day, but of course he's out now by himself. You could tell the staff knew exactly who he was. So he was a regular there also. And uh, dude, actually, I forgot about this. I remember one time one time he was in our restaurant, and I had this other table. Of uh, There was a, a woman, kind of middle-aged woman, who I would see. And she would come in, and she was very nice. And you could tell that she actually worked in food service, because there's a certain kind of um, decorum or... Um, I don't know, there's a certain type of interaction that you find between people who have worked food service and when they go to restaurants, whatever, like my girlfriend, I do this with my girlfriend all the time. Like I can walk into a place and I know whether or not we need to get the fuck out of there or whether they're stressed or whether we're going to wait for our food or whatever, you know, cause I've worked in food service for so long. I can walk in a restaurant. I can basically feel what's going on. But, um, because of your experience, hopefully you're able to act, you're able to interact with food service in a way that, you know, you understand what they're going through and I don't know. You can, you can be nice to them or whatever. Um, where was I going with all this? Oh, I was serving this one girl one time and she goes, oh, is that guy a regular here? And I said, yep. And she goes, yeah, he's a regular at our place too. We fucking hate him. I was like, oh shit. So I'm not alone. It was actually very validating. But, um, but, uh, I was thinking the reason that that seems so, I don't know, poetic or coincidental that I was seeing him on the same day, is as me and my girlfriend were walking earlier that day, you know, I've lived in the Bay Area for like 12 years, and I've been dating my girlfriend for like three years. And as you go through life, you have these relationships that either do or do not challenge you to grow. And this is one of the first relationships that I've really felt like I had to, in order for the relationship to continue, I've had to grow into it. You know, this relationship has challenged me in ways that a lot of other relationships just didn't. And I'm the type of person who, um, I mean, I don't know if it sounds self-congratulatory or whatever, but, you know, I'd like to reach, I'd like to fulfill my potential, so to speak. And, there's been relationships that I've had that ended because I could tell, oh, I'm kind of stagnating here. And I, and at the time you never really know what it is, but you feel like if I'm going to enter into the next chapter of my life, if I'm going to grow into the next chapter of my life, I need to be with somebody who can facilitate that, you know? And it's easy to say it's things like, oh, well, I want to have kids and this person doesn't want to have have kids. Um, you know, those are very concrete things. But I also mean, sometimes it's, it's sort of, Interior growth as well it's someone challenging you challenging you on your bullshit or the way you see yourself or holding you accountable to yourself, you know maybe someone who's going to tell you to get the fuck out there and, and exercise if you 're being kind of lazy or I mean for me, when I look back on my life over the last three years since i've dated my girlfriend and she 's never she 's never fucking cracked the whip at me it's just things that i've known i've had to do to sort of maintain this relationship and it meant quitting drinking. It meant going back to school. You know, these huge sea changes. Challenging myself to travel is a small example, but also a big example in some ways. But, you know, there there's things I would prefer or habits in my life that had to change to keep this relationship. And I don't mean it in a, um, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, I can imagine a world where that's a bad thing, Right. <laughs> like someone wants you to change things about yourself because to just suit their needs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about growing. I'm talking about evolution. I'm talking about growing into a relationship. And so there's been a laundry list of those types of things that I'm grateful for that I've had to sort of address and uh and um yeah and grow into. I've said that a thousand times. I've grown into the relationship. And yet here's this person. Right. So, me and my girlfriend were walking. And so, we, even when we were at this rose garden, kind of near my girlfriend's place, we went to the cer- we went to the cemetery, went to the rose garden. And we're sitting there talking about the Bay Area. We're talking about, you know, where we might want to live eventually, maybe buying a house, you know, having kids. You know, you're talking about the future. And I feel, you know, I've never lived with anybody, which is kind of, I don't know if it's weird to say or not, but I, I've never lived with any of my, my partners. And I'm, here I am talking about someone and, you know, my life is having to change in a good way to accommodate this person, to really let this person in my life and challenge me. Like, if I had my druthers, I'd probably live alone for the rest of my life. Not because it's, quote, good for me, but because that's my preference as a human being. That's what's most comfortable for me. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Am I making too big a point of this? But, you know, you have to change in your life. And, For some reason, this this regular, this former regular at this restaurant that I worked at seemed to be the archetype of exactly what you don't want to do in your life, which is just stay the same, go to the same restaurants, bother the same people. You know, you have this sort of half-baked relationship where you never really move in with each other. You never fully commit, you know, and you live this sort of life where the pages of the calendar are just sort of falling off and you look up 30 years later and it's like for what? What the fuck's really changed since day one of this relationship? Nothing. What have I really risked? What have I, have I let the experience change me? And, uh, that, that to me is the saddest part. It's uh, in some ways, I don't know if this makes sense, but it's less sad than the person who like just gets addicted to heroin and their life falls apart. At least that's something, (laughs) you know, at least that's sort of a, a type of trajectory or, or, or story arc or character arc or something. But the person who's that sort of milk toast life, you know, that sort of lukewarm, tepid existence. Like, what's that Bible quote where Jesus says something like, I spit you out of my mouth because you are tepid, because you are lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. That sort of milk toast life where you just sort of walk through it. Very, very sad. And that's what this person was. And God bless him. You know, maybe he's happy. I bet if you, maybe if you tap that dude on the shoulder and asked him, are you happy? He'd say yes, but I don't think so. I think it's a, I forget who said it, but somebody's, I think it's not Raymond Carver. Who is it? Was it Thoreau? The majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation, something like that. But yeah, just that milk toast life, that fucking just same old, same old and using your money as a fortress to just sort of stay comfortable. Anyway, maybe I'm assuming a lot. Yeah, there probably are a lot of assumptions in there. But maybe the important thing is is whether or not it's true, that's how I experience it myself. And so, who knows, maybe that would hurt that guy's feelings to hear me say stuff like that. But also maybe, you know, maybe that's the character I've sort of cast him as to sort of motivate myself. Do you know what I mean? Like whether or not it's exactly true, that's what that person's life is like. I've needed him as a sort of projection of who I don't want to be so that it motivates me in the direction that I feel like I need to go. Does that make sense? Like if we're all the stars of our own movies, like he was the villain of that chapter in my life for better, whether or not it's fair to him. He was the villain in that chapter of my life to sort of inspire me to, to continue on my own path, to become the type of person that I want to become, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, it's just funny how these things happen, right? Like me and my girlfriend were literally just talking about, growing and changing and fucking I don't know and I felt acutely that sense of like wow this is uncomfortable but this is also kind of a growing thing for me and just a couple hours later I fucking see that dude who I hadn't fucking seen in years I'm not even sure I I don't know I'm not even sure I ever would have really fucking thought about him again either and yet here he is the sort of symbol it makes your life feel spiritual you know what I'm saying I know in a few episodes, I talked about the book of changes, the I Ching, the book of changes. I mean, when I first stumbled on that book, my life was full of that sort of stuff, you know? You know, I felt the universe was just winking at me all the time. I felt this wind sort of blowing me in a direction of my life. And I don't, it's kind of sad that that I don't really have that in my life as much anymore. But um, but, um, I still do have some moments like that. And, and for whatever that, that seemed like a poignant example. You know, a little gust in the, a little wind in the sails of my life or some shit like that. Just somebody, just the cosmos sort of patting me on the back and letting me know I was moving in the right direction. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah, dude. Probably the biggest meal I've had in my life, though, that night. I probably ate... It, dude, it felt like an entire turkey. It was so good, though. Not free, but definitely fucking worth it. Very, very good. Um, but yeah, what else to say? Yeah, the next day we went... We drove out, like... Um, There's a park here called Point Reyes, and it's about it's, it doesn't seem that far as the fucking crow flies, but it's probably about an hour and 20 minute drive away from Oakland and Berkeley where me and my girlfriend live. And you have to take route one. Like everybody does this thing or maybe not everybody, but a lot of people say this like, Oh, before I die, I want to drive up the California coast on route one. No, you fucking don't. Yeah. If you want to be car sick the whole time, feel free to. You're going to travel 10 miles an hour on the windiest road of your goddamn life. And you're going to fucking hate every second of it. Cause to get the point, Ray is you have to fucking drive out on um you have to drive out on Route One, and the minute you fucking hit Route One, it's just a fucking cliff drop on your left into the ocean, and just rocks on your right, and it is the windiest road you've ever fucking driven on, and it, it's gonna make you carsick. I mean, there was a couple times where I had to roll down the window and slow down to like five miles an hour and take deep breaths. And normally when I'm driving, I can't stand how slow other people drive, but this was one of the few times I have no fucking problem. Like I'll pull over at every turnout so the cars behind me can go past because I just got to go as slow as fucking possible, dude. And it takes forever. But we drove out to Point Reyes and we did this hike. I think it was supposed to be 13.3 miles or something like that, which was like a half marathon in its own right. And, um, it wasn't super strenuous. It was pretty flat. It was, and it was pretty, it was sort of along the coast and, but you're sort of up in the hills and these wooded areas. And then for the last part, you sort of come down and you hit the beach and you sort of start walking in the other direction, but uh, back toward the direction that you came, but uh, literally on the beach, on the sand. And uh, we didn't get to go as far as we wanted because literally the tide was such that it washed. I mean, it was literally hitting on the rest of the fucking trail. So we had to turn around about a half mile before the very end. So I think we ended up hiking about 12 miles or so. But, um, yeah, by the time we got back to the car, it was dark, but it was, um, it was nice to be that physically active after uh, eating so much food. And even still, man, I mean... I think even the next day I ended up just like walking for like 45 minutes by myself or whatever. But, um, but uh, yeah, I still feel like food hungover. You know what I mean? Like I still feel full and kind of bloated. Ugh. I don't know. If you're young, maybe you don't feel that way. But um, if you're my age, you, maybe the holidays affect you the same way. You just eat so much and it's like, especially considering the weather and how sad it's making me, it's not, I don't know, it's not a recipe for success. And, uh, and what else did we do? Oh man, I saw Parasite. You guys know this movie? It's this Korean movie. I don't want to venture to guess the guy's name cause I'll fucking butcher it, but it's the same dude who did The Host and Mother and did he do Memories of Murder? He did a few movies that I've seen and, uh, I, he did Okja and he did Snowpiercer, which are, I don't know, not great to me you know, but I think it was, those are like his sort of um, crossover films, his sort of Western crossover films. You know, not as good as movies like Mother, but Parasite was, I mean, it was incredible. And uh, it took some convincing for my girlfriend to go, because there's only two movies in theaters right now that I really wanted to see. One is Joker, which I still haven't, and, uh, and Parasite. And you know, both of them, at least from the trailers, I mean, Joker I hear is very, very violent and gory. And, and I don't know, I really don't know anything about it. I've purposefully not seen any of the trailers and, uh, and read about it. Cause I, I kind of, you know, more and more as I get older, I just want to sit down and have a raw experience of a movie. Even uh, like once upon a time in Hollywood, I really didn't know anything about it going into it. I just sort of sat down and watched it. And the same thing with Parasite. <clears throat> I, I wanted to see it. It's The trailer makes it seem kind of susun- su- suspenseful. And because of that, my girlfriend didn't really want to see it. But um, the rain's been so bad, I think she just acquiesced. And that was really the only movie in theaters that seemed quasi-compelling for either of us. So, we went and saw it. And man, it is phenomenal. I don't want to tell you too much about it. I just want to recommend it to you. And um, there's something about Korean film lately that has just been fucking incredible. Like I don't, it, Korean cinema is at this fucking. I don't want to say it's had a renaissance. I don't know if it ever went anywhere. I don't know if ever if it ever was much of anything before this. But I, I feel like the the best movies I've seen in the last few years have all been Korean. Um, Parasite is definitely one of them. It's incredible, and it takes this twist in the middle of it where you you know, you think the movie is one thing and it becomes something, com- I don't want to say completely different, but you just you just can't see it. You just can't really, um, you can't see where it's going. And, you know, I talk, I feel bad beating up on Moonlight so much, but like when you watch Moonlight, you're not watching a great film. You're watching a sort of a movie that sort of panders to the cultural climate right now. And that's supposed to make audience members feel really good about themselves for liking this movie, but it's not a challenging movie. Um, it's, it, it's, and it's, you're, you never watch it and feel like you're in the hands of uh, you're watching a, uh, uh, an artist at work. Whereas you watch a movie like Parasite and you just, there's umpteen moments where you're just watching it and you're going, holy shit, this is a fucking film, man. There's either some visual thing that jumps out at you, or some some plot point that you just think, holy shit, like, this is an incredible movie. And it does so much visually of, like, setting itself up. There's so many, you know, by the time the movie ends, you realize there's so many visual cues along the way that just, it really, I don't know, it just feels like a fucking masterpiece. And, uh, oi, I can't recommend it enough. Go see Parasite. Also, I'm trying to think of some other Korean movies I've seen that have been incredible. One is Burning, which uh, is uh, loosely based on a um, Haruki Murakami short story called Barn Burning, which is itself based on a Faulkner, William Faulkner short story called Barn Burning. And um, the Faulkner short story, I can highly recommend. That's a classic. The Murakami one, less so. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, really, the, the, the Murakami short story is just like a wisp of a story. and uh, But the movie, Burning, is so fucking fantastic. And like all Korean movies, it's like two and a half hours long. I don't know why all these Korean movies are so fucking long, but, um, but, uh, but it's incredible and it's so mercurial and a mystery. And that's another movie I, I dude, I want to talk about it. I'd love to go into detail on it at, at some point, but if you haven't seen Burning, just check it out. You can see it on Netflix actually, but, uh, it's sort of a slow burn of a movie, but it again, it's so stylistically confident you know, it's just so well composed. You know, the entire time you're watching it, you're like, "Oh, I'm in the hands of fucking art, dude." Remember, I was talking about getting hit with the fucking spirit, dude. That's what it is. You're watching Parasite, and you're getting fucking hit in the face with the fucking spirit. You watch Burning, you're getting hit in the face with the fucking spirit. And uh, the Wailing is the uh, is another uh, Korean movie that's fucking incredible. Also, like two and a half hours long, but that is another movie where you're hit with the fucking spirit. And the last. 30 seconds of The Wailing are going to stick with you for the rest of your life. It's also a film, and Parasite does this too, uh, maybe Burning Less So, but th- I don't know if it's particular to Korean film, but with Parasite or The Wailing, you, I don't, you rarely see movies that mix humor and horror and suspense so seamlessly. You're watching Parasite, and I, I don't think I've gone to a comedy where the audience laughed more. You know, you see comedies all the time where there's barely a fucking chuckle in the entire theater. You're watching Parasite, which is sort of a suspense I don't know, thriller, I don't know what you want to call it. But dude, the audience was fucking cracking up. And the same thing with the wailing. You watch that movie, it's the first half is fucking hilarious. Even while scary shit is taking place, you'll be laughing your ass off. And by the end of it though, you're fucking devastated. And to see the male lead in The Wailing, especially, go from this completely comic character to fucking like an Oscar-worthy, gut-wrenching, tearful performance is just fucking incredible. So yeah, if I had to pick my three favorite Korean films, it'd probably be, uh, of the last few years that I've seen, would be Burning, The Wailing, and now Parasite, which uh, I can't wait to see it again, actually. I don't know if I'd go see it in theaters again. Because I, dude, I don't dude, I feel like such a malcontent, sort of like an antisocial person as I get older, but dude, seeing movies in theaters is so, it's, it's, you know, I feel like a real cinephiles would be like, oh, you can't get the same feeling by watching a a, a film on your computer as you can in the theater. Dude, I prefer it. I can control the experience. And I guess there's, dude, look, if I was watching a movie in theater and there was nobody fucking else in there, perfect. Um, but dude, people are so goddamn loud. I got to hear people whispering to each other. And I just, it it always draws me out of it. No matter what fucking movie I've seen recently, even if I really enjoyed it, Parasite was one of them. Um, I'm trying to think what else I saw in theaters recently. Well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the audience always fucking pulls me out of it, dude. I got to hear people whispering to each other or people unwrapping their fucking hard candies or whatever the fuck it is. People getting up to go to the bathroom and stuff. Um, Brett Easton Ellis actually talks about this. There's something about going to the the movie theater that he likes, which is you're sort of held captive by the film. You're forced to watch it on this big screen and and it just goes. It starts when it starts and you just got to fucking go. And if you get up and go to the bathroom, you're going to miss something. I I do kind of enjoy that aspect of it. You know, I'll concede that, but kick the fucking audience out, man. I want to watch it by myself. I'd much rather watch it at home by myself. I actually can't wait till Parasite comes out on digital so I can watch it by myself or with my girlfriend, but on my fucking computer screen where I don't have to worry about the audience. Um, oh, Train to Busan is another movie. I don't know what it is about zombie movies. Like, I'm fucking sick of them, right? But Train to Busan, uh, another Korean movie that so goddamn good. It's actually one of the... It's, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it because, it, dude, in a way... Train to Busan is the of the of the I guess four movies now that I mentioned seems the most commercial. You know, The Wailing, dude, you're hit with the fucking spirit. Burning, you're hit with the fucking spirit. Parasite, you're hit with the fucking spirit. Like those are clearly film films. Those are made to be art films, you know. Train to Busan is just sort of a zombie movie, but dude, you get hit with the fucking spirit with that movie too. And it's one of the few movies that actually made me cry. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I watched it I watched the movie one day. I fucking cried my eyes out at the end of the movie. I literally watched it the next day with my girlfriend and fucking cried again. And it's a fucking zombie movie, man. What the fuck? Oi oi yo, Damn, dude. I don't know what's going on with Korean cinema, man, but they got it fucking figured out for sure. So, uh, those are some year-end movie recommendations for you. If you're like me and you haven't gone to the theater in a long time, <clears throat> actually, I mean, to be honest, I've probably gone more to the theater in the last few man, months than I have in the last few years, honestly. Saw the Downton Abbey movie. Did I mention that? I figure, I don't know. My girlfriend wanted to see it, so we went and saw it. And I actually really fucking liked it too. I thought, it was, you know what I liked about it? I, I haven't really seen the show. I've seen like a couple episodes of the show. So, I kind of knew what I was getting into. My favorite thing about the movie is they played to their audience. And I fucking loved that. It wasn't, I mean, there was some... Do you know what I mean when I say sort of expositional dialogue? You know, there are scenes where someone goes, Oh, Brad, you're silly. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, you're my sister. You know me better than anybody else. You know, they basically have to explain people's relationships and they try to have to try to find an organic way to do it through dialogue or some sort of situational thing where the characters are basically explaining their relationships to the audience. There was some of that. But overall, it, the movie played just like a long episode of the show. You know, you didn't really get the sense that they were like, ooh, how do we transfer this show to the big screen? They fucking just did their thing, and they made a movie for their audience, and they didn't try to do anything goofy with it to sort of, for larger appeal. I think if you like Downton Abbey, you'll fucking love the movie. And just as someone who, like, doesn't really watch the show, I actually really enjoyed it, so. So, if you're looking for lighter fare, I recommend the Downton Abbey movie, too. But, yeah. (sighs) Ah... I don't know what to tell you folks. We're sort of winding down here for time and, uh, I'm not really sure what to, you know what I did? I actually put out this thing on my Instagram story where I was like, um, I asked people to submit questions to be answered, you know, submit questions that I might address on the last, uh, podcast episode of the year, but I'm telling you, man, there's not a single good one, which is disappointing, but, um, I don't know. There's a part of me that feels like I should be finding a way to incorporate, you know, the people who listen to the show into the show more but uh maybe not you know I enjoy the sort of monologue style of the show so maybe I should just stick with that you know what I'm saying <clears throat> I don't know I don't want to I don't want to sound like a dictator saying you guys got to step your game up and ask me better questions but um Let's just say, given the questions, and by the way, half of them aren't even questions. <laughs> I'll say, and it, it's it's nice. I'm not I'm not necessarily complaining, but it's like you know, if I say submit your questions for the last podcast episode, people just go like, "Hey, I like your music." It's very it's very flattering, thank you. But that's not a question. <laughs> anyway, dude, I'm thinking about other stuff I could complain about, but uh, I'm worried I'll sound too cantankerous. uh, You know, you let me know what you think, but I had this moment with somebody who I actually, I really, really, really enjoy this person, so it's not like this is a bad person. But every once in a while, people will give you some unsolicited virtue signaling. And this happened with somebody recently. Uh, We were just sort of talking about Thanksgiving, we were talking about the holidays, and you could tell this wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't really solicited and it didn't really follow from the conversation that, that we were having. Having, but you could see the sort of gears is turning in this person's head, and they, you could almost see them to s- decide. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna inject this into the conversation, and this person goes, you know, the more I think about it, though, I'm just, ha- I'm finding Thanksgiving to be more and more problematic. You know, we celebrate this meeting of two cultures that came together, and it was like you know, the white people killed the indigenous people and blah, blah, blah. And they sort of go on about how Thanksgiving is kind of like a historical celebration of a fucking tragedy. And my response to them was, to me, it was obvious, which is like, well, first of all, I don't believe you. I don't think you really think about this. I mean, of course you think about it. It's something we all think about, but you don't really give a shit because you and I both know that that's not what Thanksgiving means to people. The only time Thanksgiving has ever meant Pilgrims and Indians to anybody was when you you were in first grade and they needed that story as an excuse to get you to cut something out on construction paper. They were like, oh, trace your hand and make a fucking turkey out of it. This is a cornucopia. Make a fucking cornucopia. That's the only fucking time that Thanksgiving has ever been about Indians, sorry, Indigenous Americans and Pilgrims to anybody. Since then, it's just, of course, it's just about getting together with your family. So who gives a shit? <clears throat> you know, people who want to abstain from these holidays in protest of what they, you know, supposedly mean traditionally to me is like the epitome of virtue signaling. It's like, isn't it the obvious answer? Well, you just make the holiday, whatever the fuck you want to make it. If you don't like it being about pilgrims and indigenous Americans, just make it about getting together with your family and having dinner. Talk about good appropriation, just appropriate the holiday and make it about whatever the fuck you want to make it about. Use it as an excuse to see your family. And the minute I said that, I was like, yeah, well, why can't it just be about getting together with your family? Yeah, their argument completely deflates. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't want to, I don't want to beat up on this person, but they said something 30 seconds later, which just sort of solidified my stance of like, dude, who are you virtue signaling to? Don't you see your, I don't know, they're, they're clearly not thinking the issue through. Because 30 seconds later, they were talking about, um, they're sort of frustrated with the holidays and the, and the whatever and and they mentioned this, and I'm, I'm fucking confident it didn't happen, but they mentioned this story anecdotally about, you know, they were sick of something about Christians and how this, she said something like, I don't know, there was some Jewish kid in her school and some, she, she, she put it this way, she said, and then this stupid little Christian girl comes up to her and says, you're going to go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus or some shit like that. Now I'm confident this never fucking happened. You can just tell by the way, the person telling the story, this never fucking happened. This just bolsters their position on whatever the fuck they were talking about, which I don't even remember. But my thing is, if you had applied that adjective to any other religious group, you'd be fucking crucified. You couldn't, the only reason you can call this a stupid little Christian girl is because you're punching up, because that's the fucking majority. But if you had said this stupid little Jewish girl or this stupid little Muslim girl came up and said something, you'd be fucking crucified. And look, my thing is, you know, I'm not one of these people who's like, uh, you know, I I feel like when you start saying these things, people think you're advocating for like a white pride day. Like, well, if there's a gay pride day, there should be a fucking straight pride day. Or if there's black pride, there should be white pride. It's not about that at all. I don't give a shit about Christians. I'm not advocating for them whatsoever. The thing that I don't understand is the incongruousness of people's thinking. Like when when you put things that way, like if you're tweeting about how you hate all white men or you're over white men or you think white men are bullshit or you think Christians are stupid, it's not about fairness. It's not about equality. You just want to fucking punch upwards. You just want to have a group to fucking demoralize. You know, you want to other yourself. You want to you want to place yourself apart from somebody that you can just sort of beat up on. It's like the fucking Kardashian syndrome. Kim Kardashian or Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I never fucking I I've never seen the show. But when that thing was on television, everybody was watching it going, oh, can you believe these fucking people? These people are fucking awful. But that is why the show is fucking successful. Does that make sense? Is this point coming across clearly at all? You're just getting a kick out of thinking that you're better than somebody else. And you want me to sit here and hear your point about, oh, these stupid little Christians or how Thanksgiving is a bunch of bullshit. And you want me to think that you're smart. You want me to think that you're a good person. You're virtue signaling. And you want me to sit here and just smile and nod and bask in your wokeness and be like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. I never really thought about it that way. This is really consciousness-raising. But what I'm hearing is that you're not very intelligent. And I was about to say, I, I, you know, I hate painting people with that kind of a broad brush, but I love doing it, actually. It's actually one of my favorite things to do. So, I was anticipating how you were going to hear that, and I was trying to pander to, to, uh, to what I wanted you to think about me. So look, I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's not that I'm not guilty of it either, but, uh, but I, I don't know. For me, I hear these sort of postures that people make and I just hear the incongruousness of their logic and I just, it actually makes me think less of you. Ironically, you want me to experience you a certain way and think of you as smart and I'm thinking of you another way. But, uh, yeah, when everybody else is just sort of sitting around smiling and nodding and going, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, it makes me feel stupid and it's not that I'm wrong. I know that I'm Right but it is isolating to feel that way. Anyway, <laughs> woo! wow, I know I sound like Junior KKK when I start talking like that, but um, but uh, yeah, dude, that, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about this whole social justice thing that makes me, it makes me concerned. And it's not the, again, it's not the issue that I take umbrage with. I agree with the cause it's the way it's presented that bothers me. And is that a privilege? Maybe dude, Maybe it's a privilege that I, t- that I can take umbrage with that, that I care about the packaging. But um, but I don't believe you. That's the thing. I'm sitting across from you and I'm hearing you championing the cause and I don't believe you. If I feel like it's about yourself. <clears throat> the only thing you're standing up for is yourself. So, um, anyway, strange note to end on. But uh, we are at a time, and at that, and it's the end of the year, folks. So this is going to be the last episode of the year, and it's not going to be long before you hear from me again. You will hear from me next week. Um, but where are we going to be at that time? Am I just going to keep rolling through and recording these? Possibly. Am I going to take some time off and enjoy the holidays and prepare for my finals for the end of the semester? I would say possibly, but probably not. My guess is I'm going to keep rolling on, and um, but I should take a few moments to thank you. If you listen to this podcast regularly, thank you for listening. It means a lot. Um, Like I've said, the music is going to keep rolling, no doubt about that, but I've really enjoyed doing this. And I know it's new, and I'm still finding my voice. And uh, if I'm being honest, I think I've been consistently good. I'll put it that way. I think the episodes have been consistently good. They've had some great moments. They've had some maybe not so good moments, but I think I've been pretty good about being consistently good. And like I've said, I'm going to do 100 of these. And I know by the time we do episode 100, it's going to be quite a bit different than it is today. And hopefully, that's a good thing. Hopefully, I get better at this. But whatever the case, if you're listening to this today and not in the future, you're an early adopter, and thank you. Um, but hell, even if you're coming to this late, thanks for digging all the way back in the archives and checking out the early stuff. Um, again, <clears throat> If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We post the audio there. Going to be a video podcast eventually. And uh, rate and review the show. If you think it deserves five stars, give it five stars. Say a couple nice things about it. If you think it deserves less, just go do something else with your time. Um, And if you want to share the show, please do. Think of one person in your life who you think would like this show and send it to them. If you like it, chances are there's somebody else in your life who would like it too. And, um, and if you want to connect with me, uh, on my socials, you can at this is M X O X O. Um, yeah, I feel a lot of pressure to put a period at the end of this, but the truth is, it's not a period. It's an ellipses. We're just going to keep on rolling, baby into 2020. So have a safe, uh, have a safe and happy and fun holiday and new year. And, uh, When I see you guys, it'll be 2020. Okay? Thanks for listening. Ciao. For now.